Well, we are in week two of this series, uh, simply called Be Real. You probably see that on the back wall, Be Real. And uh, the reason um, I wanted to do this series is because, you know, we need to go back to what it, what it looks like for Christians, believers and followers of Jesus Christ, to live a real, authentic life. I mean, the New Testament alone is, is, is packed with instructions on how to do that. But, but whether, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's all automatically going to jump on the page and into our lives. We've got to read it. We've got to understand it. We've got to process it. And uh, most importantly, we've got to apply it. And so that's what this series is about, just really applying some of those basic principles on how to live a real, authentic Christian life. And there's, um, I like make, making cultural references, um, uh, you know, as long as they're, you know, appropriate cultural references. And there's this app called Be Real. Uh, several teenagers may have this. And, and this app, um, it basically, it gives you a, a notification one time a day. And, uh, and the notica- notification says, time to be real. And what it does, you have two minutes to take a picture. And it takes a, pic- it takes a picture automatically on, your, on both sides of the camera. So it, it, the goal is really to, uh, the purpose is to capture an authentic, unfiltered snapshot of uh, the user's life. And wow, what, what an amazing correlation uh, with our life as well as believers and as Christians. Because you never know when your Christian life is going to be on display, right? And when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're on, on the sports team, and when you're around your family, and you just never know when, when you just... Others will see that. It's almost a, a snapshot of your life. And uh, our main passage for this series, you're going to find it in First uh, Timothy 4.12. And we're going to be looking at several different passages of Scripture. There's uh, like five of them. But this one, First Timothy 4.12, is sort of our key verse of this series. And it's Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter uh, to Timothy. And he wrote two of them to Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor, a church planter. And he was giving him lots of instructions but this right here is where our, our key verse lies. First uh, Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And what's interesting is Paul says, set an example for the believers. Set an example for the believers. I believe that if we as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, will all get on the same page and treat each other in these manner, in the, in, in the manners that's listed here in this verse, then the, the, the world is going to be attracted to that. It's going to be magnetic, and they're going to want to be a part of that. And so, um, last week, we talked about speech. We talked about what does real speech look like. And we understand and we, and we were reminded that words are very powerful. Just like God created uh, all creation with just words. And just like a spark can catch a forest on fire, the tongue can be very destructive if we don't tame it. We're also we're reminded last week of, of the importance of wholesome talk, Right? Wholesome talk, it's, 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 it's amazing as I go uh, uh, through various schools and stuff, and, and our, our kids say the uh, same thing. I, I'm just amazed at how much filth is in our language, right? Especially this younger generation. 
But guess what? Guess where they learned it from? <laughs> the older generation. And what's in our culture. And because we don't filter that. And so, but it's not just, you know, cursing and using foul language. It's also how your words bring to life. And it's not just how you speak it, but it's also how you text it. How you post it on social media. All of those things. You want it to bring life to people. That's what you want to do. And so, whether you talk, text, or post, or write an email, you want to stop and you say, all right, how can this bring life to others? So, last week was about speech, because there's five things that Paul talks about. The second one is conduct. So, today, we're going to look at um, how to set an example for other believers in the way we live our lives, or how we conduct ourselves, how we conduct ourselves. So I spent many years as a choir director, as a conductor. In fact, I got my degree from LSU, go Tigers, <clears throat> uh, from, um, in, in music education. And it was emphasis on choral conducting. So I spent about 12 years in the classroom conducting choirs. Now, I've conducted choirs. I've conducted four orchestras. I've conducted children's choirs. In fact, a couple of years ago, I conducted the, the Bartow County Children's Honor Course. I've conducted, obviously, adult choirs. And But 12 years in the middle school classroom... Um, taught me a lot. Taught me a lot about myself, most importantly. But it's, it, to me, it's so easy to sort of conduct others. Because when I did it every day, I mean, I would bring it home. Literally, my wife would wake me up in the middle of the night, stab me, in, not stab me, sorry. I don't mean that. Our marriage is fine. She would poke me in the ribs. <laughs> She would poke me in the ribs, and she said, I caught you conducting again. So literally, what she would see me is I would be snapping my fingers in the sleep, and I would be conducting, you know, whatever pattern. And she said, I caught you conducting again, you know. I guess there's worse things, right? I caught you whatever. Okay, it's fine. You caught me conducting, you know, in the middle of, of, of my sleep. And so I did it so much that it just became so natural that literally I can conduct in my sleep. And, uh, but the most difficult person to conduct is not others. It's myself. It's myself. It's very difficult for me to conduct myself. And I don't necessarily, I think you kind of get the analogy, I don't necessarily mean singing-wise. I'm talking about conducting myself, my life. I am the most difficult person for me to conduct. And you may agree of that with yourself. And this is the reason why, why the Apostle Paul, he knows this. That conducting ourselves can be very difficult. This is why he includes us in the instructions of Timothy. So what does it look like to conduct ourselves in order to be an example for the other believers? What does that look like? Well, there's one verse we're going to jump to, and it's uh, found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, this right here is a, a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. 
And uh, so same writer as 1 Timothy. And so if we go and put that on, on the uh, screen. So Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 3, and it reads this. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. So basically, he's saying this. Conduct yourselves with all of these areas. Conduct yourself in all of these areas. Paul gives us some characteristics of conducting ourselves. So we can, uh, we can share the, the, the Jesus jersey. So going back to the uh, conducting illustration that I used, the choir conducting, there are several things that a conductor must, must conduct, okay? So you ever, if you ever wonder why a band director or orchestra director or choir director is up there with a, with a stick in their hand, waving like this, what are they doing? What are they doing? And really, they are conducting five things in the music, five elements in the music. One is tempo, which is speed of the song. The, the faster you go, wave your hand like, your baton like this, then the faster the song. The slower you go, then obviously the song. So the tempo of the song or the speed. Another one is meter or time signature, which is an indication of how many beats are in the measure and ultimately the conducting pattern. Okay? So patterns make a big difference, whether it's 3-4, like this, or 4-4, four, four, like this, or 6-8. I mean, there's all kinds of patterns that you have, and it's very important that you show that, the, the meter or the time signature. What about dynamics? Dynamics is the volume in various sections of the song. If you're conducting soft, like, uh, small like this, it means you're supposed to sing or play soft. If you're conducting big like this, it means you're, conducting, you're playing or singing Fuller, a louder sound. There's also phrasing, which indicates how long a musical section should connect and lead to the others. So if you're conducting and you want your singers or your musician to, to expand that and to go to the next phrase without taking a breath or a break or a rest, you do the phrasing on that. And that's where a lot of the musical elements come to. And then one more is cues. Cues are when a section of singers or musicians or instrumentalists, they come in or they, or they exit the song. So you'd be conducting like this, and you could bring in one section like this, or you can cut off another section of group like that. So there's five elements, basically, what a conductor uses in a song. And what's interesting, as we're talking about conducting ourselves is that Paul also gives us five elements with which to conduct ourselves to help display our true intent as followers of Jesus. And this goes back to that verse in Ephesians 4. So if you want to keep your, your, your passage of Scripture there at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and 3, that's where, that's where those elements are. So Paul is telling us that there's five ways that we can conduct ourselves. Okay? The first one we see in the passage is humility. Humility. Paul instructs us to, to have humility when conducting ourselves, okay, with the way we live our lives, okay? In other words, so again, this is, this is all about being real 
and how we treat others, other, and how we're an example to the other believers in our conduct with how we conduct our life, okay? Our, what we do with our life, how we live. So, kind of going back to conducting analogy, you know, whenever, whenever I was conducting choirs and concerts, no one came to see me, well, except for my wife, which is great. Um, uh, she, you know, obviously, she came to hear the choirs and stuff, but the parents could care less about me. And in fact, I'm not even facing them, right? I mean, I'm, I'm facing, I mean, this is what you see right there the whole time, right? And because it's not about me, it's about the singers. It's not about me at all. And that's exactly the approach that we should take with our, with our Christian life. It's not about us, okay? We can't make it about us. You know you're walking in humility when it's not about you. The Apostle Paul gives us specific instructions on humility in another passage. Philippians 4, 2, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And, and again, all of this is still Paul, but in, in different letters. And it's all just, we're all just connecting and weaving the things together. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Wow. Isn't that an incredible verse? That could... If we, if we actually lived that every day, right, how, how we would change the world, how the church would live, how much unity we would have in our life. So it's, it's, we need to value people above ourselves, not our own interests, but the interest of others. So the first element of the five we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, is humility. The second one is gentleness. Gentleness. In keeping with our musical conducting illustration, it's important to approach music with gentleness, not in a harsh manner. Okay? So, a harsh approach to music, and I found this out as a, as a choir director, if we're talking about, whether you're talking about instrumentalists or singers, if you approach music harshly, you're going to have distortion in your sound, and you're going to have wrong notes. My first, my first two or three years of, of, of conducting and choir director, I was awful. I was an awful teacher. My choir sounded awful. Why? Because it was kind of a harsh sound. I would say, give me more and more, and they did, and it wasn't pretty. And it's wrong notes and distorted sounds and everything. And I was like, I got to fix that. How do I fix that? And so we can't, just like a choir director or conductor can't approach music in a harsh way, we also can approach a Christian life in a harsh way. We've got to be gentle. When we, don't, when we don't conduct ourselves with gentleness, then the gospel message will be distorted and ugly. Let me say that again. I think this is important. When we don't conduct as believers, when we don't conduct ourselves with gentleness, then the gospel message will be distorted and ugly, kind of like a bad-sounding choir or a bad-sounding band. We can't treat other believers harshly in one breath 
and then point to people to Jesus in the next. We can't. I mean, you could try. It's not going to work. You know, when I hear a recording of, of harsh, of distorted sound, something that doesn't sound good, what do I do? I turn it off. That doesn't sound good. I'm turning it off. You know, when, when we conduct ourselves in a way that we are harsh to other believers and the outside world, and, and we also try to point people to Jesus, guess what the outside world's going to do? They're going to turn us off. They're going to turn us off. And it's a fact. They are going to turn us off. Gentleness is the proof that you have a strong walk with the Lord. Check out Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 5. Paul says this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know, that is such a simple verse. And that is a verse you can memorize, like right now. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's something that you can tell yourself every day. Students, while you're going to school, while you're getting ready, while you walk into a classroom, adults, when you're driving to work, when you're facing other people at work that just crawl under your skin or facing traffic or whatever, just say that scripture. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, you can't just say that without the Lord being near, and the Lord can't be near unless you invite him. So part of that is inviting him into your space, into your day, into your schedule. God, be with me today. I need you near to me. Be near to me, oh God. I invite you into my day. Just a simple prayer like that. And just tell yourself, let your gentleness Put your name there, Frank. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and 3, Paul tells us, humility, remember there's five. Just like a conductor has five elements they're conducting, right? He gives us five things. Humility, gentleness. The third thing is patience. Patience. 95% as I'm th- thinking back of my teaching time, 95% of my conducting was never on a stage in front of people, in front of an audience. 95%. But rather in a rehearsal room with me and the students or an adult choir or whatever, at a church, at a school, at a community event. The mark of a good conductor is one who is patient with the singers and musicians. 12 years in a middle school choir classroom, man, there's, there's nothing that would teach you patience more than that. Was I always patient? No. I was not always patient. But I eventually, it just takes me a bit, but I eventually learned that when I was patient as a conductor, that's when I got the best results. When I was patient as a conductor, that's when I got the best results. And here's a, here's a fact. There were billions of mistakes in, that, in those rehearsals that required what? Patience. Required patience. In my early years of teaching, it's like, you got that wrong. Why can't you get that right? And they're like, well, teach us. I'm like, well, you should know. <laughs> you know I'm just a bad teacher, right? 
that the more that I was patient with them and helped them with their own notes and helped them with the right intonation and, and all of this stuff, then the more they responded and, and the better it got. You know, the same could be said with us. With how we conduct ourselves with other believers. Other Christians are going to make a lot of mistakes. They are. They are going to make mistakes. Other believers are going to make mistakes. And the devil, man, the devil loves to work in, 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 in the lives of people, in the minds of people, putting thoughts in. And he will do some things, and some people will make mistakes, and whether intentionally or unintentionally. And, um, and then the other, the other believers or the other people involved in that, uh, in, in, in that circle of friends will see that as something, well, I, could, I have a choice here. I could, either, I could either respond with patience or impatient. Now, there needs to be instructions. There needs to be accountability, yes, through love. But we, we've got to make sure that we are patient with one another. We have to. Because we are going to make mistakes. There's going to be some, some times you'll need to offer forgiveness. Yes, there's going to be times you need, you're, going to need to offer, you're going to need to offer apologies. I encourage you to be, have patience with the body of Christ. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. It's another letter to another church. It says this, 13 and 14. Bear with each other. So that's, that's, you're carrying something, right? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So he's saying, just in, in the nutshell, he's saying, look, be patient with one another. There, there's gonna be, there's gonna be times where you need to forgive and you need to offer an apology. And as we bear with one another, do that in love and in unity. And that verse right there really sets up the, 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 the last two elements of what Paul is talking about back in, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. So we have humility, gentleness, patience. Okay, again, this is all about how we conduct ourselves. This is you conducting you. You are not conducting others. This is you conducting you. Okay, this is all about being an example in your conduct, in the way you live, how you conduct yourself with patience, gentleness, I mean, uh, humility, gentleness, patience, and then the fourth element is love. Love. Keeping with our conducting ourselves theme and conducting theme, it's, it's important, what I've found over the years, a conductor has to love what they do. Especially if you teach younger kids, especially middle school, you have to love what you do. If not, you you're going to hate it. I mean, you're going to hate what, what you're doing. You're, you, I mean, it's, you've got to be called. The teachers that are here at Red Top, 
uh, middle school, I, I mean, I, I could tell the ones, you know, that, that really, really love what they do. We've, we've had kids that go through here. And, and they, because if they didn't love what they did, they, they were doing, they would, they would leave, they'd find something else. So you have to love what they do. As, over the years, uh, I've actually judged choir competitions as a, as a certified judge. I, I've judged many competitions. And, and I've seen numerous examples of, of conductors who did not love what they were doing. You could tell. The way they treated the kids and just everything. And I didn't really feel bad for them. I, I mean, I wanted to just go up to them and say, quit. Go find something different. <laughs> go do something else. Because it's obvious you don't love this. But I did feel bad for the students. My heart went out for the students. I could see in their eyes, they wanted to have a love for music. But the conductor was ruining it for them. They were. I saw it. I've seen it. When we don't conduct ourselves in love, we ruin it for others. You could, you could post that statement. You could tweet that. You could or exit whatever you, you, they're doing now on Twitter. You know, when we don't conduct ourselves in love, we ruin it for others. Just like a conductor, a choir director, a band director who's, who's conducting they don't love it. And you can tell. And they're ruining it for their students. Same way. When we don't conduct ourselves in love, we're ruining it for others. There are thousands of people who would really like to give this God thing a try. Like the students who really want to love music. They're in choir, they're in band or orchestra or whatever. And they really want to love it. And just like them, there are thousands of people who want to give this God thing a try. But the examples of churches who spew hate towards others in the church honestly scares them away. It does. I've talked to them. Yes. They are afraid to get caught up in all that drama. And you know what? As one who's kind of been, you know, recipient of that drama... I don't blame them. Yes. So we have got to make sure we love one another. We need to show genuine love towards those in the church as, so those outside the church will desire to, love, to be part of the love that we show. Look what, look what the Apostle Paul I'm sorry, uh, what John says in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. So this is not Paul. It's the disciple John. It says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <laughs> it's real simple. The, you, you, you've got to love one another. Okay? And this is actually, I mean, it's in the book of John. In the Gospel of John, this is, this is Jesus saying this, I command, I command you to love one another as what? As I have loved you. And of course, he's speaking 
not only in the present tense of, of, of that moment as he's talking to the disciples and his followers, have I shown love to you as I spent time with you and I've discipled you and I've provided healing and those kinds of things, but also he's foreshadowing the cross. As I have loved you, as I have shown you my love by giving my life to you, the same manner by which I loved you, we need to love one another. Why? So the world will know. So the world will know that you are my disciples. So the world will know that you are the true church. That you are the followers of Jesus. If you love one another. Love. That's what it's about. When we don't love, we ruin it for a lot of people. We do. There are people who, are, who should be sitting here today. Who aren't. Because, and not just this church, every church. Because someone has ruined it for them. They didn't act in love. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, our, our, our passage for today is a message. Paul talks about five things. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, and the fifth one and final is unity. Unity. You know, nothing sounds more beautiful than a choir or orchestra or a band in complete unity. Yes. Even middle school choirs. Down the road, as I was able to get, you know, assistance from other directors who were really doing it right, and I wanted to kind of have my choirs sound like them, and I became, you know, a better conductor and a better teacher I was able to finally get my choirs to sing in incredible unity. And there, there are bands and choirs and all across our great nation and the, even this area that do that. And so unity brings power and inspiration to a performance. It really does. You could tell when they're not singing or playing in, in unity, Right? And when, when they aren't, it just doesn't sound all that great. If just one person is off, it will be known. If one of my singers wanted to, to stick out by singing in a different style or tone or whatever, the other singers around them, they'd, they'd turn to them and look at them and be like, hey, what are you doing? Not in a concert, but in a, in a rehearsal. We need to conduct ourselves in a manner of unity. I believe we achieve unity with the previous elements when the previous elements are active in our walk of faith. I believe that, and, and, I, and I really think Paul uh, saves unity for the last one here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. He saves unity for the, for the last one because unity really is just a byproduct of the previous four. Think about it. When we conduct ourselves... With humility, gentleness, patience, and love, unity is what's going to happen. Unity is what is going to happen. We will be unified. As a church, as we, let's just focus on Lake Point Church, as we, we as a church, as we conduct ourselves in humility and gentleness and patience and love with one another, Unity has to be the, the result of that. And I believe we're, 
Yeah, we, we see a lot of unity in our church. So thankful for that. Grateful for that. And so, but I think it's because as a church, we have, we try to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and love. We can be an example. But I'm telling you what, the devil will come in and disrupt those. How does he disrupt the unity of a church? Uh, go back to the other four elements. He encourages people to walk not in humility, but to be boastful. He encourages people to, to treat others harshly, not with gentleness. He encourages, uh, he encourages people in the church to be impatient about what they think is important. And then also, he, he encourages or tricks believers to not act in love. We have to act in love. We do. Love, love has to be present. And then unity will abound. Um, check out what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. This is my last passage. Philippians 1, 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves. There it is again. <laughs> no conductor. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's a great passage. Conduct yourselves in a manner, what? Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Whether I, and this is, again, a letter to the church in Philippi, letter to the church. Whether I come and, and, and actually visit you personally and talk to you, or if I even hear about it, or if I don't come, I, I'm going to know. I'm going to know because word is going to spread about the unity of this church there in Philippi. And the bottom line of that verse is just Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let me ask you that question. Are you conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Are you conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Are you using those five elements? Not the, not the musical elements, tempo, dynamics, phrasing, no. Are you using those five elements in your life to conduct yourself with humility, gentleness, patience, love, which then will result in unity. I just want to encourage you to do a heart check. Just do a heart check. When has there been time, when have there been times when you just didn't conduct yourselves in this manner. Can, can I tell you something? I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I don't always walk in all of these. At, I mean, there are some of these I, I do pretty well. Some of them I don't. And I have to go back and say, okay, come on, Frank. You could do better than that. I'm, I'm always talking to myself. Come on. You could have handled that better. You could have stated that differently. You could have whatever. And so 
I'm with you. I understand. But if you want to know the key, if you want to know the formula, that's it. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And that will help us to be an example for the believers in our conduct with how we conduct ourselves. Last week we talked about speech. This week we talked about conduct. And next week, you want to read that passage? 1 Timothy 4.12. The third word, you'll understand what the next sermon is about. You don't want to miss it. Because I know this. It's going to help us all to be real. Just like the Be Real app says on, our, on your phone, indication. It's time to be real. Church, it's time to be real. It's time to be real. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you, Lord, for your passage of Scripture, for the Apostle Paul and others, and even the words of Jesus there in John, that we can have that formula in our life. Help us, Lord, to, to live that life worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if there's anyone here today, you say, well, Pastor Frank, I, I don't really wear the Jesus jersey. Or maybe I just wear the Jesus jersey, but I'm not in the game. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not on the field. Because I don't really follow Jesus. I, I, I haven't really made that decision. If you're ready to follow Jesus, to put on the Jesus jersey and follow him, not be a fan, but a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. You just say a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I believe you came and died for me. I believe you love me. Please forgive me my sin. Please come into my life. Be Lord of my life. I want to be more than a fan. I'm ready to be a follower. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.